So I think it's so appropriate as we continue on in our family series that uh, last night I got to experience something that I had never got to experience before. I don't know why. Maybe Indiana, they didn't do it. I, it, I don't know. I don't know why. But I got to go to a daddy-daughter dance. Okay? And I tell you what, that was, that was a lot of fun. And um, I was just thinking, and I was thinking about last night too, uh, in the context of what I've been looking at, thinking about this week, what I wanted to share with you. And, and uh, just for me, it, it was just great timing to be able to, you know, understand and realize this gift, this incredible gift God's given to us of family and relationship and the joy, the absolute joy that it brings to our lives, the ability to experience life at this deep, rich level, right? Um, I, last night, I, I had to be careful. Like I said, that we're going to do one more song, then we're going to go and and I thought, okay, and, and um, they decided to do um, a song I hadn't heard for years, uh, Butterfly Kisses. You ever heard Butterfly Kisses? Yeah, I'm doing everything in my power not to just ball on the dance floor. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I just even biting my lip kind of thing, and I'm like glancing around, or any other dudes crying here, you know? Because <laughs> if they are, I might let go a little bit. But if they're not, I'm not going to be the only guy out there and Sage is going to be like, what are you doing, you know? But um, it just reminded me, man, thank you, God, for the way you design things and the ability we get to experience love, you know? And since be, I've become a parent, my love has, has grown in ways I didn't realize I could love. Now, obviously, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that enables us to love. But as we, um, as we experience different things of life, he just, he just opens it up for us, doesn't it? He just gives us this capacity. and um, So it just all fit together for me. And just wanted to remind you, man, God, is, God has given us something special in our families. And um, I, I, let's just... Let's just grab a hold of that and ask him to do uh, great things in our families because the potential for joy and love and just a lot of things is how it's in that that he's created and given to us. So we've talked about um, the family, um, really centered around, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, kind of a kickoff scripture and just I throw these things up here just to remind you just so maybe you see something that reminds you but really the whole idea is although we try to understand how to handle conflict and the the um, the, the the value of time um, there is no substitute for time but really it's centered around this idea as for me and my house we will serve the Lord and that godly families are not something that you just wake up and it just happened in your sleep through osmosis. Or um, it's not something, well, yeah, you, you know, they're kind of inclined that way. You know, they're kind of, they, they had a good family before, and so they're kind of inclined that way. Or they're more, they're more fan. No, it just, it's an intentional thing that all of us can experience. 
but it takes that deep uh, uh, resolve within us that says, you know what, just as Joshua said that day, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And that kind of resolve, with God's help, gives us the ability to experience a godly family. And so we started with that. We moved into some marriage stuff. Um, there's a lot of good marriage stuff out there. We chose this. I hope these phrases stick in your mind, maybe bring something to your mind. But we're going to seek God together. We're going to fight fair with one another. We're going to have fun. We're going to stay pure. and We're going to never give up. And I believe that if those things are in play, it's ways to fail-proof our marriage. And so just talked about those. We want to switch gears and move into this, this whole dynamic of parenting. And this week I have, I have uh, thought about some stuff and I, I, I just, I would share a few things right off the bat. Here's some words that have been going through my mind this week that to talk about parenting, to think about parenting, to see what the scriptures are talking to us about parenting it is very humbling. It's very humbling. Um, I haven't looked at this stuff, thought about this stuff this week without feeling convicted in, oh, Lord, help me to do better here. And um, I think all of us have a sense of that, right? I don't think I'm talking to anybody here who thinks, you know what, I was the perfect parent. I did everything right. And, right? No, it's laughable, right? And to think about these things again, it's like, Lord, I just, it, it's created a, a deepening sense of um, need in me. God, I need, your, I need your wisdom. I need your help. Because this is, wow, this is a huge responsibility. And so when I talk about this today and next week, it, trust me, it's coming from a sense of my own brokenness, um, and um, if I say something and you're like, wow, he must think he has it all together. So that is not the case at all. Um, it's, it's very humbling to think about these things because the weight of this responsibility is large. And um, so it's humbling. I've also thought about this week. It's, um, it's very complex when you think about parenting. Um, I've seen great parents have awful kids. I've seen bad parents have great kids. And you all know what I'm talking about, right? People have popped into your mind. And you've sat and thought and wondered about that. What in the world is going on? Why does it work that way? I wish I'd have had them for parents. You know, you maybe even thought that. And what? And I just am reminded that this is a very complex thing to think about. Um, when we're dealing with another person, with a will and a mind of their own. This isn't just textbook. Do one, two, three, four. This is the formula, okay? And I think there's some complexities to parents, to parenting that sometimes you don't always have the answers for. And I would say even sometimes it's almost stuff that, um, it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's, it's the mystery bag, uh, sometimes there's mysteries with, and, and, and so I think some things about parenting come into play here. And so you might have questions or have hang-ups or struggles or 
roadblocks about parenting that there may be not an answer for completely. I've also realized, thought about the fact that parenting is very changing. Um, <laughs> at least for me it is, you know. As I, I was thinking about even something as simple as like, so with my first child, with our first child, um, we gave Keegan, we've given all our kids a pacifier. All right? I don't know if you do that. I'm not here to debate whether pacifiers are good or bad. Um, but we did. And... Um, do you remember with your first child, with our first child, man, that pacifier would, would pop out of their mouth and it would fall on the ground and, man, we were already boiling the water. <laughs> remember that? And we actually might boil the pacifier too before we were ever going to put that in their mouth again. Okay? Then Sage comes along and the pacifier drops on the ground and, and we're just walking over and running warm water on it now. Okay? And we've gotten to Sayla now and it pops out of her mouth and we just let the dog lick it off and put it back in her mouth. <laughs> but really, seriously, there's some truth. That's why I love that little commercial that's out of the mom, the loves commercial. Like the, the niece or somebody wants to hold the baby and she's like pulling all these wipies out. You need to wipe all the way up to your shoulders. And, you know, and by the second child, she's like in the mechanic shop and she's like, here, hold this baby. And he's like all greasy and nasty. Because it changes, right? And um, as we experience new things about parenting, we, we uh, I don't want to use this word, we evolve. Um, as we, some things that we thought were really important, they ain't, they ain't so much. We've learned, kind of. And those of you that have been through all this, you just look at us and smile, right? Kind of have that smile on your face like, you'll learn, you know. But for me, it's very changing. And even some of the things I thought, man, these are like hard and fast. This is what, ah, Although I, I do think we've, Nicole and I have stayed pretty true to some basic principles I think we all can have. But um, it's changing, right? It's complex, it's changing, it's humbling, it's challenging. I think it's very challenging, especially in today's culture. Everything is telling us that it's challenging. All the numbers are telling us that it's challenging. Um, when they sit down with kids and talk to them about this stuff, it's challenging. We, we deal with stuff like what you could call pit stop parenting, right? Um, in NASCAR, right, a good pit stop takes what? 12 to 15 seconds, right? 12 to 15 seconds. They change the tires, gas the car, oil changed, check the car, clean off the windshields. Seems like they might even eat a Happy Meal while they're in there too. Um, all that stuff that's happening in 15 seconds, pit stop, right? And it seems like that in our culture, it's easy to do pit stop parenting, 12 to 15 second spurts. Kid comes in, how was your day? Great. Did you do your homework? Great. Did you wear clean underwear? Great. Well, remember, don't eat yellow snow and don't have sex until you're married. Good night. I love you. Pit stop parenting, right? Um, it's kind of like this. Get in the back of the minivan and uh, we got to go. Well, what are we having for dinner, mom? I don't know. Find a french fry under the seat, you know? Um, we got to go. Driving by, there's dad. Hey, dad, wave at him. Dad, got to go. And zoom, we're gone and we're moving. And our culture's telling us this, that um, of all the things, you know you're busy and maybe even busier than you've ever been, but this, this infringes often on parenting. And so it's very challenging to try to figure this out also. There's some, been something else that I've recognized about what 
everything's telling us about parenting. And it's this, that our culture is buying into this idea that in parenting, we are, we are wanting to be experience rich. But it's becoming to the neglect that we're becoming relationship poor. It goes like this. Our culture is telling us that we need to try to, if we can give our kids all these great experiences, then we've done what we're supposed to do. If we can help them to experience whatever passion they have, man, we're going to throw it all at them. All right, you like baseball? Well, here you go. Or you like this? Here you go. Or, um, uh, uh, well, if we can, you know what? If we can just take our kids on this vacation, we're going to do what they need. We're going to fulfill that need. We're going to, you know, and so do you see this all around you? Experience rich, trying to be experience rich. But what has happened is we have become relationship poor. I don't, this isn't, hey, Chip thinks this. Look at all of what, they're telling us that, I mean, I've read things like, I don't know if it's like, on average, it's like 10 minutes a week in conversation with our kids. It's, it's, it's astounding. I remember the number. I'm like, what? That can't be. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think that these have to be mutually exclusive. I, I, I really want to have great experiences with my kids. And that includes, you know, doing things with them that they're passionate about. That includes family experiences and trips. In fact, I love it when I see families that, that, that are intentional and target family stuff over maybe personal stuff. Hey, we're going to do this vacation. Yeah, I'm not going to go on that golf trip, but we're going to do this vacation type stuff, you know? I'm like, wow, I love that. I think that's great. But what I'm saying is our culture has bought into experience needs to be primary and relationships are formed out of that and we're, we're struggling big time here. There's a big disconnect um, in parenting and family and, and you see all that, you know that. I'm just saying that I believe the scriptures have always taught us that it's relationships first. Building relationships and then experiences come and follow that. So experience rich, relationship poor is what we live in. So let's just jump in here. I would say this statement. A parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from the parents until their dependence rests solely on God. So it goes like this. My job as a parent is to bring my kids to a place where they're ready to walk out of the door for the last, not the last time, but you know what that is. I remember when I left for college, even when I went back, it wasn't the same for some reason. Don't start crying on me, some of you guys. You're going to do that. You didn't want to hear that. But it, there's, you know, whenever I was headed off into the world and whatever, um, that my job is to get my kids ready to be able to engage this world as a responsible adult, to be ready to think, to engage uh, to, to uh, have a work ethic that's, that's ready for them to meet, all those stuff, right? That's, that's my role 
is that's, that's my priority. But I love this statement because it takes it beyond just simple parenting. And it puts us in a Christian parenting mindset. That actually my role is to not only be a part of what gets them ready to face the world, but ready to face the world depending and looking and trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's my role. Those are my objectives. Get them ready for the world, but get them ready with Jesus, so to speak. That's my primary, my, my primary priority. You know, the scripture says, this verse we all know, as soon as it comes on the screen, there it is, you're gonna know this verse, right? Start children off on the way they should go, and when they are old, they will turn from it. Or um, some of the other uh, translations, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they were old, they will not depart from it. We all know this, right? We could spend a lot of time talk. I spent a lot of time talking about this verse because there, there can be a lot of things in this verse. But I want to remind you that simply the way this was written, the way the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this verse is he uses the word train. Train. It's this Hebrew word, uh, chanak. Chanak. And what this is, it's the palate of your mouth in Hebrew. And what would happen in the, the Hebrew days when this was written was that as a baby was born to, uh, was born, obviously I was going to say to a woman and you guys are all going to look at me like that was really, that was a profound statement. Yeah. As a baby was born, one of the first things a midwife would do there that was delivering the baby was she would dip her fingers in a paste and she would take that paste and she would rub it on the little infant's mouth in the chanak, the palate of its mouth. And what it would do was it would start to create a thirst immediately for that baby and it would start nursing very quickly. It, to train is to create a thirst and so we are given the, the, the opportunity and the responsibility as parents to create a thirst, to, to create a desire for our kids to live this way, so to speak, to live following Jesus, right? To live, we are at the, I mean, we're, we're it, we're, we're, Man, we are so crucial in that, that we're just that, we're that, that peace that God uses to help create a desire. Obviously, that calls for us to do what? To live the life, right? Probably there's nothing more I could say more important today, and we could be done in like two seconds, except for you want to be a good parent? Well, live the life. Live the life of following Jesus. Although, although, Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, even in Scripture, we see that people who followed Jesus struggled with this parenting bit, didn't they? David, the Scriptures, I mean, David's a man after God's own heart. Highly, I'm sure if we did a survey today, David would probably be our favorite person in the Bible. More people in here than not. Definitely mine. David's my favorite character in all the Scripture. But you know what? He was an awful parent. The Scriptures say he was an awful parent. They say he was a permissive parent. He couldn't discipline his kids. He wouldn't discipline his kids. Do you remember how his family worked out? Awful, 
awful. He's got, bro- he's got a son killing a son. He's got a son raping a daughter. He's got all sorts of terrible issues in his family. And the scriptures seem to point squarely back at David and say, listen, you were a permissive parent. You, you, were, you were permissive. And so even good, godly people need instruction, right? Need to understand how to be a good parent. And that's where the New Testament seems to give us some insight into that. Um, because honestly, the scriptures, um, they, they show us some examples, but they normally tend to be like, hey, this is what you need to avoid. Do you remember Isaac and Jacob, both parents, and they're like patriarchs of the faith, but they ended up doing things like they showed favoritism, right? He, uh, Jacob favored Joseph, and you remember, and, and Isaac favored, uh, favored the whole thing with Esau and Jacob and that whole turmoil. Those are not good examples for us. They're actually showing us that, hey, these are things that that cause strife in a family and and, um, a lot of turmoil. And and, uh, remember Eli, the priest who had two sons. And we just see through Scripture some things of like not what to do. But in the New Testament, we're given some instruction about what, or how we can pull this off. Now, there's not a lot, but it's pretty pointed and to the point, I think, very insightful in what it does says. It says this in, in Ephesians chapter 6. It starts with children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Um, so the whole idea, the call, is for children to obey. Can I get a big amen from all you teenagers out there today? I definitely got an amen from all the moms and dads. You know, I've thought about this a lot this week because often this is used in like a forceful negative connotation, right? Children, obey. You ever heard that? But you know what? This is really, this is really beyond that. This is, this is the way that God is early on in the hearts of us as children is teaching us this idea of authority, He's teaching us, because when I obey somebody, I am, I am probably, sometimes it's out of fear. I hope that wasn't with your parents. But maybe a little bit, right? But um, Normally when I'm obeying, it's because I am trusting that they know what's best for me, right? And that's why kids ultimately are trained to obey us, because they don't know what, what they should do here. They, their minds aren't ready to, to tackle that. Or, and so they trust when, when, when mom or dad says, hey, you need to do this, they obey because they're trusting, right? And I believe, as I've thought about this week, it's God's way of setting us up is as, af- ch- is as children, if we learn to obey, we trust in the authority given over us. This is the natural process of then being able to trust in our heavenly Father. It creates a culture, a mindset of trusting authority. For Colby right now, the idea of God's authority is something that's way out there, right? He doesn't grab a hold of that. But he understands daddy's authority, right? And naturally as a parent, I am taking him to a place where he can trust me because I'm doing the best I can, so to speak, you know, not perfect. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, 
But then it's just natural for him to then begin to trust the heavenly father. You see, we're never really our own authority. We can tend to think we are, and when we do that, we really are left unto our own way and devices. And, and how does that work out for us? Not very well. Um, some of us can testify to that, right? When we did our own thing, we ended up messing up a lot. And so I think this command is not, hey, children obey. That's the way it goes here. I don't know why I hit my hand so hard. It hurts. <laughs> Passive aggressive tenant. No. Pat, children obey. Because it's actually the way that God is ultimately trying to teach us as people to obey his authority. Because that's exactly where the best place in the world is to be. The most safest, most secure, and most prosperous life is, is in following the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he says, children, obey. I'm trying to teach you this obedience type thing. Because ultimately it culminates in obedience to me and knowing how. My mom always used to make a statement like, you know, if, if you can't obey me that you can see, how in the world do you ever expect to obey God which you can't see? Did she ever, my mom didn't use that on you, but has anybody ever used that on you before? You know, there's some, there's some valid principle to that. You know, and it's just this, this, this structure of authority we're always going to be under some kind of authority. We're never, we're never a God. We're never a law unto ourselves. Even when we do our own, practice our own uh, willfulness, we end up, what, becoming slaves to our own sin. We become slaves to the ways, the, the culture of this world, the kingdom. We're always going to be, and so this is teaching us to, to trust good authority Ultimately, the Heavenly Father's story. So I take a detour there. I'm sorry. That's not where we're going. But children, obey. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with providence, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's, that's another sermon. That's a great promise, right? But then he switches gears, and this is what he says to us as parents. And he actually addresses it to one of us. He says, fathers, I've research this this week okay does it this word really mean both parents is it just parents no it's fathers it's fathers what it's trying to say is um fathers bear the weight of the responsibility they're not the only ones who are being parents right but ultimately fathers uh bear the weight and you understand the structure god has set up that you know, we as fathers take the mindset that the buck stops with me. I got to make sure this happens. Amen. We take that on, so to speak. But it, 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 it also is, is in, it's obviously implied that there are two parents. Both parents have authority. Both parents are training. Both parents are instructing. But it's reminding us that fathers bear the weight of that responsibility. So fathers, and what is the first thing he say? Does he give us like, here's five steps. If you'll do this and this and this and this, your kids are going to be millionaires and they're going to have... No, listen to what he says. Do not exasperate your children. As a father thinking, what? Thanks. Looking for advice here, Lord, and you tell me something 
Don't, and the word there is, don't irritate your kids. I'm like, I'm already out. Lord, I need forgiveness. Don't exasperate or don't provoke. Don't irritate your kids until they become angry. You see, in that culture, the Roman culture, it's easy to understand this a little. It's easy to understand this. The father was absolute authority. I mean, in that culture, if the father wanted to put his kids in chains and make them serve in the field all day, no one said anything. If the father just, it got this, I'm telling you, it was like this. When a baby was born, it was laid at the feet of its father. And if the father picked it up, then it was accepted. But the father had the authority to turn around and walk away. And that baby was thrown in the street. And it either was picked up by people who wanted to make slaves, people who wanted to have prostitutes, or what's cool and what was so powerful in that first century, there were Christian people that came along and adopted those babies and took them as orphans and changed their life. That's why the Christian testimony was so powerful because these people took on kids. That, you see what I mean? But that's the way it was. And so it's easy to think somebody with that kind of authority could easily abuse it, right? And I'm telling you, Rome is like a picture of what happens, the fruit of when we do our own thing. And we become like that. But in all of us, as parents, with authority, with God-given authority and power, he's warning us right up, right up front that we are to be careful with that power and authority we have. That we can easily abuse it. Amen? I'm sure there's not a parent here that couldn't say, I know that line, I know that tension. I've struggled with that before. And that's what he's saying. Don't irritate your kids. Now, I would say this. He's saying we're not to negatively motivate our children. Our homes are filled with grace and mercy and love. But they're also filled with nurture and discipline and shaping our kids. And we're to figure out how those things come together in a way that does not exasperate our kids. You see, this isn't saying don't make your children angry because <laughs> we're all out. <laughs> it's saying don't try to make your children angry. Understand that line when it maybe becomes personal to you or you're reacting in the flesh or you're frustrated because they're not getting it and you don't understand why they can't get it and so you react in a way that um, it's not right. And as we act that way more and more and more, we can create in our kids an exasperation where they become angry. This is convicting, is it not? It is to me. Because the Lord just helped me to walk that line and figure it out. Thankfully, our kids do not expect us to be perfect. They don't. 
I am so grateful for that. In fact, it has been some of the most powerful moments in my parenting experience is when I have actually messed up. I've said something too harshly. I've, I've, uh, I've misunderstood, right? <laughs> Anybody else done that? Like you got one side of the story and man, I let Keegan have it about something and come to find out I was totally wrong. Somebody was giving me one side of the story. Probably Sage, but she's good at that. And I had to go back and say, you know what, Keegan, I am sorry, man. I, I blew it. I didn't figure out what was going on. I reacted too quickly. And it's amazing how our kids, when they know that you love them and that you're trying to do the best, they don't expect perfection. And in fact, it's been in those moments that our relationship's gotten tighter because they've realized daddy's willing to say, hey, I'm sorry. And I'm doing what I, I'm just trying to figure it out. But it's when we allow things to maybe become personal um, that we tend to exasperate. Here's a list from John MacArthur. <laughs> that I really like about how, ways that we maybe could, ex, we could, we do exasperate our kids. One, excessive discipline. Parents who seem to think that if discipline is good for a child, extra discipline must be even better. Um, they're constantly waving the threat of punishment. <laughs> I know I'm talking to sometimes teenagers today and you're like, are you kidding me? Come to my house and talk, you know, you know I'm just kidding. But seriously, I think we know this line of, um, I think we should probably have a mindset that no parent should ever be eager to punish. I hate it. I hate it. I have to do it, but I hate it. And I don't ever want to get to a point where I love it, you know? Come on, buddy! Excessive discipline, kind of that idea. Or inconsistent discipline. If you overlook something three times and then punish the child severely the fourth time, we confuse and exasperate our kids, right? Mean what we say, do what we mean, because they can't follow that. You know, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. Don't touch that, you know, it, it just, it, it can exasperate them. Unkindness, I've seen this before, it makes me sad. Unkindness. Favoritism, overindulgence. I mean, the, the, the research is astounding, even from places that are not Christian at all, who tell us that kids that are overindulged or allowed to do their own thing or make their own decision or just whatever, they don't feel secure, they don't feel safe, and it messes with them psychologically. There is so much a sense of security and safety when there's expectation, when there's a form, there's a plan. Some of you that are educators, you know this very well. Overindulgence, overprotection, right? You probably exasperate your kid when you finally let them drive the car at 18. Give them some, let them grow up. Give it, don't, don't try to, and pressure to achieve, the pressure to achieve. Man, we see this sometimes, don't we? Kids 
They're, they're just, you can tell parents are just pushing them because maybe they're living out their own dreams and hopes. Maybe they didn't make it as a ball player and they want this one to make it, so they just push them, push them, push them. And I got a, I got a ball player and I'm gonna do everything I can to help him succeed. But I'm praying, God, help me never get to a point where it becomes about me. Never. I want him to, I want him to love it want him to do it, I'll, I'll try to, to help him in whatever way I can. I'll, I'll drive to tournaments. I'll do this and that. But I don't ever want to get to a point where it's like he's not wanting to do it and he's only doing it because he knows dad wants him to do it. And he just stay. You see what I mean? Pressure to achieve. That just exasperates kids. I think there's probably some common parent traps that happen because of this or that these things happen because of things like we focus on behavior. We get so focused on behavior. You have got to line up behavior like this. And we get so focused on that, so focused on that, that we literally do not work with our kids like we should maybe. Or we get focused on environment We get focused on environment. We get focused on behavior and our kids become performance oriented. If they do this, this, and this, then daddy loves them. If they don't do this, this, and this, then daddy doesn't love them, so to speak. We get focused on environment. Like, you know, if I can just provide the best environment for my kids, then I'll have made it happen. So I'm gonna gonna tell you, I grew up, Parents that took this approach a little bit. I don't want to tell you. So my parents decided when I was in sixth grade, or at the end of sixth grade, they decided, nope, we're going to put Chip in Christian school. I have nothing against Christian school, okay? Just making a point here. Because they thought that if they could focus on environment for me, it would protect me. (laughs) If you would have seen me at 17, you would have said one thing. Wow, that didn't work too well. I'm just telling you. But they, 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 they thought, well, maybe this will, this will do it. Or we focus on self-esteem. Always making my kid feel like he's a, you know. And the studies are showing, I'm telling you, Harvard and places like that do studies like, that's not good for our kids. The participation trophy thing is not probably good. I'm grateful people participate, but we have to learn that, you know, there's winners and losers sometimes. That's good for us to figure all that out. If we always focus on making Johnny always feel good, it doesn't doesn't help our kids in the long run. Instead, the focus is always on the heart. And you say, Chip, I don't know what you mean by that. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm not, I'm not, I, I know what I mean, but it's hard to explain. But I am absolutely experiencing this in my own life. And I wish I would have experienced it more and more when I, was, when I was a newer parent. I know I'm still pretty new. But trying to have these conversations and this dialogue and even in the discipline aspect of talking to my kids about why, what, you know, this focusing on the heart. Focusing on the heart. Teaching them from Scripture that there is a, 
There is a bent to sin. There is this, this and there's a need for grace and forgiveness. And, there's, and this is this whole dynamic of focusing on the heart instead of just focusing on, well, you know what? Keegan didn't hit anybody in the stomach today, so great day. And she doesn't do that, but, you know. So focused on, did they line up all their behaviors? You can line up all their behavior. You can put them in the right environment. You can make them feel like a million dollars. And they can still walk out our doors and not turn out if we don't focus on the heart. Focus on the heart. What's the, okay, I got one minute. Bring them up in the training, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This word here is literally to train your children, and it includes everything. Think about training an athlete. You have a plan in place. You have things that work, things that nutrition to take, but you also have things that they need to avoid. There's disciplines that need to be developed. It's all that, in, and we are taking on, and it even includes this idea of discipline, of disciplining our kids through instruction like, hey, you did this, there's a consequence. You do this, there will be a consequence. This, you know, and he uses the word admonition, but also verbal warning. We're trying to to help them to see. We're trying to not only correct behavior now, but we're also trying to talk to them about things to warn them ahead of time. We're willing to say, hey, if you make this decision, I'm telling you this is what will happen. And that's all part of this. And I would just drop these things in real fast. Discipline is correction driven by love. So important, it's driven by love. And this is also something I think that I'd love for you to think about when you go home. Discipline isn't something you do to your child, but for your child. You see, I'm bringing them up, I'm training them for a reason. I'm not just disciplining them because I just, this is what I do to them. It's what I do for them. And kids without this training and this admonition in the Lord, they, they, don't, they lose their way. They don't have a structure, an opportunity, a platform to develop the character and the uh, abilities that God has called them to have. And that's our role to be willing to do these things. We're not like lifeguard parents who rescue from consequences. Right? We destroy our kids if we don't allow them to understand bad decision and the consequence that comes with it. Right? You know, Johnny didn't get an A, but Johnny didn't study, and so he got a D, I, it's not my business to go into the teacher and tell her every which way why Johnny deserves an A. Johnny deserved a D. Right? Not a lifeguard parent. Always trying to rescue them from having... Honestly, some of the best things that happened to me was when I had to suffer consequences. I learned real fast. I don't like that. Pain is not my friend. Actually, it is your friend, but I don't like to visit him very much. Or etch-a-sketch parents, right? You know the etch-a-sketch, you draw it up, but it gets all grainy real fast. It's inconsistent. Can't be inconsistent. To bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord calls for us to be consistent.
Or maybe it's split decision parents. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. We just don't think about it. We don't. Part of parenting is having a plan in place, right? Knowing we've talked about this. So I'm already trying to talk about what happens when Keegan's 13 and 15 and 17. And I already, do we already have a plan in place when they ask these questions? Or not split the decision. I'm just going to leave it right there, okay? This is what God calls us to. I think what we're going to talk about next week, I, I'm excited. Because I think it, it gives us maybe a perspective of, of the opportunity we have. But this today was just what are the scriptures trying to teach us about, about being a parent. And it tells us we have to guard the responsibility we have very carefully and to not abuse it. To not abuse it. Because when we do, we can exasperate our kids. But it also tells us what we are to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We do have a discipline plan in place. We are consistent with it. We are, and we are willing to talk to our kids through. We give them verbal warning. We're willing to have sometimes those uncomfortable conversations or those conversations they don't want to hear, but we still keep saying it because we're always trying to instruct them in the Lord. Amen? If you say amen, I'll quit. All right. All right. Let's pray. Father, Lord, um, a lot of stuff here probably more than one sermon. We're trying to do this in a timely manner. So Lord, thank you for everybody's attention. Lord, I know this is stuff that all of us uh, uh, need to ponder and need to think about. Lord, we're just trying to figure this out. Lord, we have a desire to be the best parent that we can be because we love our kids so deeply. And we want them to, to experience what you have planned for their life. So, Lord, just continue through your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Maybe something that was said, you, you take it and you begin to work on our heart about, you just take it and use it, in a, maybe even in a different way, I don't know. But, Lord, this is awesome that we get to do this. But, Lord, it is great responsibility. Help us to embrace it, knowing the potential that can happen from it. Lord, go with us from this place. And this week we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.